0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Okay, let's come back together here. And uh, I appreciate a couple of the last comments. They lead into what I'm going to talk about, which is right view as a sort of orientation of our practice and potentially of our lives. So. The question was asked, all these views, how do we how do we know how to orient our life? So I'm going to speak a little bit more to the right and right view. What is the useful perspective that the Buddha t- teaches us to take on our lives? What orients us, you know, it's sometimes called the noble eightfold path. So what is it that orients us to a noble purpose and direction for our lives? There's a little... Um, kind of one-liner summar- where the Buddha summarizes his teachings as doing no evil, engaging in what's skillful, meaning wholesome or healthy, and purifying one's mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. Okay? So, so we're probably on board with the first two of those as ideals, right? doing no evil, engaging what is skillful and wholesome. The third we don't hear much about these days, purifying our minds. So how do we do that? How do we need to train and purify our minds? And what, what, we've all been to school. We're all professional adults for the most part. How, how, are, how is it that our minds are untrained? Right? How does a person of an untrained mind, in this sense, how do they orient their lives? So look into your own experience for a minute. What is it that sweeps us away over and over again from aspirations to avoid harming and engage in the wholesome? One of the teachings I like around this is called the eight worldly winds. This back and forth between gain and loss and praise and blame, high status, low status, pleasure and pain. For the most part, these winds are blowing over us all the time and we're in reactivity to them. So, and there's this constant, not very examined pursuit of clinging to the pleasant end of those pairs and struggling with and trying to avoid the unpleasant end of those pairs. And what we're not seeing is how much this attitude or this view that, of course, the purpose of life is to get on the good side of all of those pairs, you know, as much pleasure, success, approval, praise you know, gain and avoid loss and so forth. So how much is that attitude contributing to our stress and dissatisfaction? So the other very well-known statement of what is the core of the Buddha's teachings is where he says, I teach one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Right? So there's this word dukkha. I don't know how many of you know this word, but... When we translate this as suffering, a lot of people, suffering can be very heavy. So it covers, this word dukkha covers the whole range from, you know, some of the most profoundly tragic experiences that can happen to people to just a kind of pervasive dissatisfaction, like, isn't there more? Life is kind of dull, you know, what's, what's going on here? All that whole range from what you'd call suffering to what you might just call dissatisfaction is covered by dukkha. Uh, another teacher translates it as stress which is a good one too so this this other understanding of right view is it's grounded in orienting ourselves and navigating our lives by learning to discern when we're experiencing flavors of dukkha and and then learning to look into what's the underlying cause of this subjective experience and how we can reorient ourselves and our intentions and our attention toward more ease and freedom and inner peace with what's happening. So whether you look at um, the essence of this project as a release from suffering or as a reliable and lasting source of peace and happiness... The beautiful thing about it is that what we discover as we practice is that there's this deep alignment between creating less suffering and stress and dissatisfaction internally for ourselves and then acting in a way that doesn't contribute to the suffering of others. So Bruni and I were talking about and dividing up this topic almost like the out and the in-breath in a way of thinking about it. Something about your views and your internal milieu gives rise to your actions and then things from the world, like the eight worldly winds, sweep, o- sweep over you, come into you, and then somehow inside you they set up a reaction of some sort, which in turn you know, influences what you put out. right? And so through our meditation practice and through the whole practice of this path, we're striking the time to look inwardly at what, what is our inner engine that's taking in input, reacting to it in a certain way, and putting out intentions and actions into the world so this understanding of right view that's coming from the point of view of learning to understand how we suffer from what's happening because then that's what motivates us to act in ways that then trigger other people to suffer and it becomes vicious circles how can we begin to work with that this point of view is often called the four noble truths so um, this is truth in the sense of something that something that happens and that we need to acknowledge is going on and i really like another way of teaching this which is that, that it's four tasks it's four things that we need to do that we can look at and practice with and the first of these is to comprehend to understand dukkha what is meant by dukkha i'm just going to use the word dukkha and so that you understand it covers that whole range So we need to get a feel through our own investigation of what's meant by this term. And we learn to distinguish the situations that are the unavoidable pains and losses of the world and how we add suffering to that in reaction and resistance to them. The Buddha says that birth is dukkha, death is dukkha, losing what we love, not getting what we want, getting what we don't want. All of this is just the truth of how life is for humans. We don't get what we want. We get what we want, we have it for a while, we lose it. Some things may be sooner, some things may be later. We have pain, we have aging, illness, old age, death, loss of all kinds. So looking at our relationship to that is the meaning, orienting ourselves to look at how am I relating to these inevitable ups and downs of life is the deeper meaning of orienting ourselves by this right view when we're under the spell of beliefs like these bad things should not be happening I have to be able to fix everything this shouldn't be happening our minds contract and we lose sight of the other factors of the path we lose sight of our potential for having wiser intentions we lose our mindfulness sometimes we might get lost in a sort of collapsing relationship to our strengths are kind of useless, struggling with what's going on. Our attention gets scattered and fragmented. So a really important turning point in our practice is to recognize that there's a task of learning to recognize, first of all, just to recognize that dukkha is happening right now. It's so different to just be constantly pushed around by how can I fix this, how can I get something better, How can I? what should I watch, what should I eat, how can I... What can I do? And whoa, stop. This is dukkha. (laughs) Let me just stop and investigate what's going on right now. So we quit running from discomfort and we turn to trying to understand it. So it's very different to turn from this constant thought of I can't stand this, this shouldn't be happening, I hate this, and just turning to what what in this can I bear with a certain amount of dignity without losing touch to my good intentions, mindfulness, focus. And we discover that we're much more capable than we thought we might be of bearing with certain kinds of inevitable difficulties. We can take it less personally, knowing that we share this with everyone else who is human, experiencing these kinds of loss and pain and blame. And then we can discover this kind of joyful interest and confidence in our ability that we're learning the tools to be able to investigate the workings of our own minds and our own hearts and see how we're adding suffering, adding dukkha to these experiences of pain and loss that in ways that we can learn to, be, to avoid. So the second noble truth is that there is a cause of dukkha and the task that goes and the cause is what's usually called craving grasping clinging pushing away reacting in this way to what's what's being experienced and the task is called to abandon craving which is a very strong word and probably sounds impossible to most of us starting out on this but what we need to do is start to look at what that might mean so again it's a, a discernment that we can start to work on as we open up to this path and we start to be asked to become more conscious of how we're reacting in speech and action and different ways and as we continue our meditation practice our, when we sit down we see how difficult that is, how easy it is what we're looking at is the difference between the simply you know, wanting something like I'm hungry, I'm going to eat something, intending something Working towards something, you have a work project you need to get done, right? There are things wrong in the world that we'd like to work on fixing. And when that shades into this kind of driven, gripping, oh, this has to happen in a way that's actually adding a layer of suffering to your engagement with it. So it's when we start to see maybe that something more is at stake, a kind of desperation there's a kind of deep conviction that if this doesn't happen or if this doesn't stop happening then somehow all hope of access to present and future happiness is you know somehow come to ride on i have to get this particular thing or this particular person cannot be elected or something like that you know life will go on somehow and so how how can we not put that extra twist in there that makes it that adds a kind of panicky level to what's going on right so this is we can we can what we're not seeing is that this extra twist is itself unpleasant we tend to be very focused in our minds on the vision of how nice it will be if this happens or how nice it will be if this stops happening and then we don't notice because we're we're so outward oriented that we don't notice that internally we're getting all tense and gripped up around this has to happen this has to not happen right So this is starting to discern what's meant by craving as opposed to just, you know, sure, you have a plan for the day and it might go that way or it might not, right? So um, this clinging and craving habit that's so deep in all of us that it's the second noble truth is based itself on some underlying views that are of this subtle kind that's very hard to see. This is the view that most of us have that it should be possible in a way to get things lined up and hold still. You know, that when we get something, then we have it in some way. And it's, it's attributing a lot more stability and lasting potential for satisfaction to things and situations and people states of mind and body if only i had that then everything i'm sure we've all had these if only thoughts right if only once i get that ah then everything's okay A different job you know new boss whatever it is everything's okay so this view that overly focuses on our our image of how perfect everything will be and that it's possible for this to last so one of the things we start to see as we really investigate this is you know, where are we staking our well-being on things that are inherently unreliable and are going to change? And how can we learn to stake our well-being on our relationship to whatever's happening, which is much more reliable than the particulars of what is happening? The second view that's very deeply, that we very deeply orient around is our ideas about ourselves. Some of you mentioned that a change in view almost always has to do with losing some kind of self-image, right? This is a big topic, way too big to go into very much today, but we can start to see it just in terms of taking things like loss and failure and illness, taking them personally. You know, as if this is uniquely you who is somehow singled out to fail at a few things now and then or to get sick now and then or to get very sick or to lose someone you love you know this it's so isolating in our culture to have something really tragic happen it's very hard to get people you find people you can talk to about this or to feel like you're still part of the human race because these very very difficult things have happened to you And then it's just every day, it's like, why can't I get this, you know, why can't I write a better Dharma talk? I don't know, but I can't, you know. So whatever it is that you want to do better than you're doing, you know, you can really stress out over it. And everything you do should be, somehow should be better. I should be better. That whole notion of taking things personally instead of seeing that this is dukkha and this has to do with holding on to this idea that you ought to be able to get things right. You know, those other people, maybe not, but you. So that's just one way to start to look at this. And then we're very protective of our self-image. We want to be seen in a certain way, right? A lot of suffering comes around how people view us, how we're seen. Something happens that upsets our view of ourselves. Fear of failure often blocks us from trying new things because we don't want to see ourselves as unable to do something or as a person who's maybe awkward and knew at something we have addictions to approval to comparing our talents and gifts to other people's so all those ways these are big themes in the buddhist teachings the theme that everything is impermanent all everything you can imagine grasping at and clinging to is actually not the way to stake your well-being and that this habit of taking things personally and being very concerned with your image of yourself instead of just the reality of what's happening moment to moment is also a big, a big factor, a view that you can start to look at. So as we practice with the path, the more we can keep in mind these perspectives, then our wisdom, wisdom slowly deepens. And this task of abandoning craving and clinging and grasping, that isn't really something you can do. You can't just set out to abandon it. You can set out to get wiser about what's going on. And you can set out to notice how much it hurts. You know, there's something in us, some life force, that really wants us not to suffer. And it's like mistakenly going at it by trying to get more stuff and hang on to it. But once it sort of gets the scent of, oh, this very activity is suffering, Something deep in us starts to learn and starts to let go. So you don't have to do that that letting go. You know, you can try. It's a good practice. But don't be frustrated if it's not so easy. You just keep putting your effort into seeing how the clinging is actually adding suffering and noticing those moments when letting go actually feels good. And just trust that something in you is learning and will, will be less tenacious in hanging on as you go along. So in our practice of the path and in our meditation practice we're doing three things here. We are cultivating through meditation this ease and peace that comes from within and then that, that, that doesn't have this craving edge to it that has a letting go and relaxing into ease and peace edge to it. And that is a good learning because it's very hard to give up you know ice cream if you don't have any other way to soothe yourself. You know, but it, as you learn through meditative skills ways to soothe yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, then it's much easier to let go of these things that are kind of more addictive in a harmful way. And also there are pleasures that you'll learn as we go through this path. Just in a moment of generosity and kindness, you know, noticing the inherent release and pleasure in being kind to someone. You know, these are these are not addictive types of pleasure and they're not... They're, it's something that you can give endlessly. You can, you know, you can always do that. So we're cultivating an alternative kind of, of uh, pleasure and we're getting interested in learning to examine and kind of take apart and analyze the processes of body and mind. So we're really learning to catch... And this is part of why we meditate, because we need to still and quiet the mind so that we can see a little more clearly what's going on. I often, by the end of the day, I know I've acted unskillfully, hurt, you know, said things I'm sorry I said, done things I should, eaten things I didn't mean to eat, and all kinds of stuff throughout the day. And then I can stop and look at the end of the day. Okay, I was pretty rattled. No wonder I couldn't be mindful there. There were six things going on at once, and I was still upset about something somebody said this morning. Right, And so when we sit, we kind of, okay, let all that kind of process out and see it and see where we were reacting, see where we're still holding something that happened earlier in the day. And in that way, very gradually, our minds begin to settle and we have more clarity about what moves actually add this little, right where that, you catch it in the act of where simply having a thought about, oh, it might be nice to do that, turns into, ah, I have to do that. You now, you can see that happening, and then your mind sees that unpleasantness in the added craving or the added struggling, and, in that, and then in that way, it learns to let go. So the third noble truth is um, to realize the third noble truth is that there is an end to suffering, which this particular kind of dukkha, which is to realize uh, this freedom by ending craving. So when we catch small, mo- it's the other side of the coin. You're catching yourself starting to crave and grasp and cling and seeing how unpleasant that is. And then you're catching yourself, as you gradually learn to let go, more not do that and see, oh, that's pleasant. And you just keep kind of holding the mind like a, you know, the puppy that you're training. Oh, look, this hurts. Oh, look, that doesn't. Over and over and over again, and slowly it begins to let go. So you might find yourself sometime. You know, you could say something mean back to somebody who said something hurtful to you, but you don't for some reason. You, you just feel that, okay, I've, I've got the presence of mind in the moment not to say that. And then you can notice how relieving that is later. There's no mess to clean up. There's no escalating argument, you know. It's, it, there's a good, clean feeling to not having done that, and you can appreciate that. You know, you might see a spider in the bathtub that you might usually just squash. And for once you don't. You have the clarity of mind to see it there. You know, pick it up and take it out. And a little moment of tenderness and you can appreciate that. And just little moments like this of seeing what's freedom from suffering and what's uh, what's not. So Ajahn Chah, the famous Thai teacher he says if you let go a little bit you'll have a little peace. if you let go a medium amount you'll have medium amount of peace if you let go completely you'll have complete peace so this path goes a long 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 way you know we'll just you really start to see how deeply the mind is clinging to things and you really you get some faith that yeah this could go a long way you know it's not going to necessarily go a long way in a hurry but you start seeing where it's going And then the faith that is going that way is beautiful. So the fourth noble truth is the noble truth of the path being the way to the end of suffering. So the activity is to cultivate the path, which is what we're doing this year. So you'll start to see how consciously observing your experience and experimenting with all the different factors that we're going to look at They lead to these moments of recognizing suffering, understanding its cause a little bit better, letting go a little bit more. And so we see that the factors of the path are involved in giving us those glimpses, and then we get more and more dedicated to really cultivating these factors in more areas of our lives. And it will also be very important as we do this to bear this perspective of suffering and not suffering, the whole question around, am I heading towards more dukkha or am I heading towards less dukkha? To bear that in mind as you practice, because it's quite a shock to for the first time maybe start looking at you know everything you believe or everything you say or what are your actions. It can very easily turn into self-judgment or frustration or how come I'm... Gee, I didn't realize I did so much of that. So just look at how, always look at how you're relating to this. Are you adding more suffering? You know, don't let your practice become a source of more suffering by judging yourself for how fast it's going. So we'll look at that. So I'm over time here. It seems like the worldly winds are blowing in a pretty crazy way these days. Um, And so I think it's just a really beautiful thing to have a path, to have a practice that trains you. We're setting down deep roots in ethics and deep roots in clarity in our minds, deep roots in good intentions, deep roots in finding a kind of peace, an inner peace, that's really independent of how the world is blowing one way or another. So hopefully these these roots of these path factors will keep us steady and free us to engage in the world as a force for good. So, that is a view of right view, of the right in right view, you could say, and how, how we start to orient and look at staying on the path of less suffering, less dukkha and more satisfaction more peace of mind and therefore more freedom to what we put out being a force for good for others thank you so we have another breakout session So why don't you get in as much as possible different groups of four. It's nice to have 50 fellow path travelers here and get to know them, you know. This is a lot of people all engaged in a beautiful thing which is just so heartening in this time as it always is. So meet some more people and we have another question
2: for you. Reflect on it before uh, the person with the longest hair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the question that you can have 30 seconds to just be silent and with yourself with is how do you experience being driven by the worldly winds? Have you ever stood up to or outlasted a desire or anxiety and noticed it pass? Just give yourself some time to reflect on that before the person... But the longest terror begins. I'll ring the bell in between. And again, it's three minutes of sharing per person. And the sharing will be a monologue. And then the ne- then we'll pause for a breath. And then the next person will share in a monologue. Um, it was a, a compound question, wasn't it? How do you experience being driven by the worldly winds? Have you ever stood up to or outlasted a desire or anxiety and noticed it pass? Noticed it arise and pass? Okay.
1: Just to say the winds are those lists of gain and loss and pain and pleasure and blame and praise. The the winds are those pairs of gain and loss, pain and pleasure, praise and blame, you know conventionally good stuff happening bad stuff happening
2: When you're ready, if you can come back to the big circle, you already—it's just general. So, do you want to do the Q and A now? So once again, um, it might be nice for others in the room to learn um, from what you learned in your circle. You know, it kind of broadens the understanding. So uh, maybe you could share a little bit about what you learned by being in your circle and discussing this topic. And we'll pass the mic again for the people who are listening by recorded. Oh, thank you. Hi, I'm Lindsay. we all had a really different interpretation of the question which, or our personal response to the question, which I thought was really interesting to see different perspectives or different views of the question of like views and stuff. And I thought it was interesting to like reflect on what they said and see how that I felt about it and how I could change, not change my answer, but have a, another response. It is interesting. What really stuck out was the commonality or the shared experience of, of just this concept of desire or craving. It's, it's almost like it's in the DNA and it's everywhere.
1: of wisdom in this group you can just you know tell your story again It'd be nice to have people hear it
0: uh, in our group I think one thing that struck me was um, how uh, how quickly we had a sense of trust I think there's something of sort of having this container, this space, for us to uh, share our experience. And then I think in sharing each of our experience, I think I can speak for myself, I saw elements. There's sort of that common element of humanity, like, here, this is what it means to be human in this situation at that moment. And we can all kind of... There was a thread uh, of that that... um, ties everything. Yeah, made it relatable. So, yeah. You know, I feel there is a, a lot of wisdom in in the room and in the group there was um i thought it would be interesting if i may just say something that came to my mind to discuss a moment when we were actually you know caught by the wind but did not react skillfully like the reverse i think would be a very interesting exercise
1: tend to assume those are a dime a dozen. <laughs> maybe the others maybe the others are a little more rare, but I don't know. But it is, it is just seeing seeing the difference, right? Are there any questions in general about this topic? It's it's a little bit of a hard topic to get your head around, so we're happy to clarify anything about it as best we can. It's, it's not quite a question on, on the topic, but I wonder if the, these are um, very um, stimulating questions you're sharing with us. Will, they, will we ever see them again, like in an
0: email, so that we might reflect on them in the future? I, I found that I would like to turn my attention to some of these again, maybe later.
1: Well, there are a lot of uh, stimulating reflections coming out over the next four weeks on this subject. So I, I, uh, I don't know that they're worded exactly like this, but the gist of them is awfully similar. So I think you'll get a chance to revisit. Um, these sessions are recorded, so you could listen to them again. Yeah. I have a question
0: behind. I guess the, the right view... Um, I feel like I got it and then lost it. Um, you know, at the beginning, I, I kind of felt it was like, kind of like a perspective. Like it's as if, you know, I'm, I'm getting those lenses in a different color and, and I can s- see in a different way. Uh, but then when we got to the full noble truth, I got confused of how that relates. Can, can you...
1: Yeah, I I feel like I, I wasn't terribly clear on that also. I really like what you said about the perspective. That is putting on a new pair of glasses, you know, that you can look at the Four Noble Truths as a pair of glasses that say the important thing to look at is how am I doing what I'm doing? Am I engaging in what I'm engaging in in a way that adds stress or not? So you're beginning to look at that what am I doing to add more or less stress to the situation? Rather than totally focusing on how can I get what I want and not get what I don't want. So it is a different pair of, it's sort of the, the internal turn the glasses around often enough <laughs> so that you, you feel your own direct experience of how you're doing what you're doing. So I think that that is uh, the way, in, is right to see this as a, it's not a new thing to believe or to think it is a new set of glasses for looking at what you're doing.
0: Right. You mentioned that these sessions will be recorded. Will yes. you all send the link to how to get to them? Because I know how to get to Gills, but I'm wondering it would be nice to have a link yeah, to... Yeah, uh, I to think we
1: office. might, yes. Uh-huh, I will send it again. I think I sent it, but I will send it again. a little getting people on the list as mailings go out and catching up to people who joined later it's a little confusing but I'll send that again yeah any other questions about uh, when is the first
2: email
1: today or tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the emails are the same as the material that's online we just broke it out into weekly reminders so that you didn't have to something to remind you you know, all the materials on that one website. But it's more interesting maybe to get it every week than to. And we'll see. We, I have a, a slight ambition to think of midweekly reminders to send you. But I don't know if I'm going to get with that this week. But we'll see.
0: Um Personally, I would find it overwhelming to get an email today. Uh-huh. Just, you know, I, I feel like. Tomorrow would be the earliest. Maybe Tuesday would be better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, certainly, I certainly agree with you, but you might have to just print it out and put it away and read it on Tuesday because I think it might be coming out today. <laughs> so I, I, I think that's a wise sentiment.
2: <laughs> yeah, you are pointing to something really important, Sylvie, and that is that you know there, each one of these things ha- is extremely rich, And you can be with one topic, and as long as it's still fruitful for you, you know, staying with that, there's no need necessarily to rush ahead to the next prompt, actually, if you're still uncovering things. Or, you know, if you get tired of that prompt, you can move to the next one. So thanks for bringing up that, like, please, no, not till Tuesday (laughs) feeling.
1: Yeah, you could really deeply engage with almost any one question all month, you know. Get a good deal out of it, so don't don't feel rushed. It's not like you have to do your homework and get all these questions answered. Find something that really is um, resonates with you that you want to
2: spend some time with, you know. And maybe right. This may be the first homework you'll ever have. That if you do one question, you get a hundred percent. And if you do 10 questions, you get 100%. (laughs) You will get an A.
1: All right. Anything else? We can sit again for a few minutes and let the energy calm down here. got about eight minutes so we'll sit for that long Thank you all. Thank you.